Kathy. I'm Anatole. And I'm Justin. And, and this, this is, is Comicsverse. Um, thank you for listening to another Comicsverse podcast. Today we're going to be talking about American Born Chinese in part two of four of our Freaks and Geeks podcast. And I'm here with Kathy. Anatole is sadly not with us today. But we will keep him in our memories and talk about things that he would like, like comic books. Right. And we'll also mention, as Anatole would, that you can find Comics First online at comicsverse.com, at facebook.com slash comicsverse, of course on Twitter at, at comicsverse, also on Tumblr, comicsverse, Tumblr, however that works. Don't put an E in Tumblr because that's wrong. And then subscribe to us on YouTube. Yep. Uh, YouTube YouTube.com slash TV, And we want to remind you about all the hard work that everyone here has been doing in the weekly video review. So please check them out because um, they've been coming every week to, to get them out and doing a really great job. And there's no reading. You just watch someone who's smart tell you about comic books and you're like, oh, I'll go buy that one. And it's really easy. Exactly. Takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. Or I already bought that one. This person is saying exactly how I feel on the inside. I'm so smart about comic books. Right. That's how you feel. Exactly. And you can check out our interviews with your favorite artists and creators mm-hmm. from Comic Cons. Exactly. Yay! Woo. Woo. We just attended Special Edition. Um, just attended Wizard World, Wizard World Philly. Um, just got some videos of cosplayers, yes, which um, Aaron and Dale were so nice to get that for us. So. Yeah. They checked me down on Instagram, too. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, lots of, well, being that it was a smaller con at Special Edition, it wasn't um, overwhelming with the cosplay. So we got, it was a little bit better because we got to like really talk to the people there with their cosplays and everything. And so many awesome cosplays. Um, I think my favorite was um, Ragdoll and Batgirl. I remember them. They are Awesome. So we are talking about my brand new favorite comic, which is American Born Chinese. I'm not going to get into how much I loved it already because I absolutely did love it. But, uh, you know, does someone want to give some background on the comic? Um, no, you don't have to. I can give a quick what quick synopsis. Do it. Um, the, 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 it's obviously an uh, autobiography of sorts uh, by the author, and it covers three separate but intertwining uh, plot arcs, uh, one involving the fable of the Monkey King, which many might not know is actually a very popular tale amongst Chinese folks like us, like like I. Um, he, he's <laughs> essentially like a Chinese Superman. He would be what like a superhero would be, I guess. More like know, a Chinese, Chinese Loki. I guess, right, yeah. yeah. But I mean like a superhero yeah, sort of yeah, status. Yeah. And um, it goes into his story and it goes and talks about the story of... Uh, Oh, shit, what's his name? Um, Hang on. Jin Wang? Jin, Jin Wang, Wang yes. Yeah. Uh, the story of Jin Wang and you know, him, it's a kind of a coming-of-age tale in a way, uh, but also a story of uh, finding your true self and, you know... And self-acceptance. And self-acceptance. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much the synopsis without giving away too much of it. <laughs> and we should also mention that we have three people on our cast today who are... Maybe not American-born Chinese, but are Chinese, and will I don't know. It adds a little bit of street cred, I think. Don't you think, Derek? Yeah. yeah. Chinese Derek. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, I guess we're not really tokens with the three of us. Yeah. Right? We're the minority guys. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. This is true. Yeah. It's the only reason we invited them here. Just I'm just kidding. I mean, to go back a little bit, that is the interesting thing. 
about the fact that you chose to title um, this podcast with the word minority in it. I found that really interesting just because as Chinese people, we are not the minority in the world. You know, it's and we're true. the fastest growing population yeah. in the United States. So that's going to that's going to change real soon. Well, in America, though, we still are. Still but are, like, but we're growing real yeah, fast. That's true. I think Americans like to like any white American likes to put the term minority on anybody who isn't Caucasian, though, is where that comes from. Rarely do we talk about the art first in the podcast, but um, I personally was struck by it on the, the very first page, and I was wondering what you guys thought about it. Um, personally, what struck me was um, the lack of Renaissance space and the close backgrounds and the Asian style of drawing. Um, it reminded me of those Japanese sort of uh, woodblock carvings or woodblock paintings. And I was curious what uh, your guys' reaction to it was because it was so flat to the front um, with no background. It reminds me a lot of the cartoons that I read as a child. The ones all written in Chinese with like um, Chinese folk tales, especially, and this is very specific, the peaches on, I don't know which page it is. Page, oh, that, that's the page. Page nine, the peaches in the right, right top corner panel. Those peaches, you see, those kind of peaches, that style of drawing, you see in all sorts of um, comics and cartoons for children uh, set in East Asia. So that was just a little bit of nostalgia that hit me as I was reading. Anybody else? Especially anybody else who's Chinese? <laughs> oh, I see how it is. Yeah, all right. no, I'm not allowed to say anything. Or Kathy. <laughs> no, no, I really like the art. I mean, I didn't actually know what... Uh, what Justin meant originally when we were talking about Renaissance art, the style, but once he explained it to me, um, I could definitely see the difference. And it is more, you know, all the characters are in your face. There's not a lot of stuff happening in the background. And uh, I really enjoy it, yeah. It's, it's almost a sort of cross between, like, manga-y, but also the cartoony. I was going to say, the manga thing especially, it reminded me of, uh, just coming from, like, my personal points of reference because I, I didn't read a lot of um you know it, like uh, comics or cart i didn't see a lot of cartoons set in east asia but uh it did remind me of the simplistic almost vectory style of um jenny tartakovsky maxwell adams you know cartoon artist that i loved when i was a kid and definitely when you mentioned the manga it reminded me of brian lee o'malley's work okay, and yeah. i was i was very drawn in by that and also just the i i wasn't aware of the renaissance space element as well which you had mentioned but looking it up um even so, just their use of, like, for the one fact, um, a traditional shadow in the illustrations never really appears. It's never, like, a full-on shadow, and I thought that was a really cool way of, like, doing it. And obviously, the color work is, like, outstanding. Um, one moment that stands out to me is just when uh, the Monkey King goes to visit the the four other deities, mm -hmm. and each deity had its own color tonality and, like, scheme, and I just thought that was, I mean, for some reason, that moment just, like, stood out to me as, like, very clever use of this seemingly limited color palette. I think it's worth mentioning that at least, I mean, for the podcast that I've been able to come to, most of what we discuss are like the big two. And so there's a separate writer and artist. And so it's a totally different thing when you're looking at a creator who has written the story and also composes the art and does the inking and colors everything. So he's able to present like a total vision um, in a much more fully imagined way than we often see with comics that are composed with a bunch of freelancers, basically. I mean, I haven't even said his name yet. Um, Gene Luen Yang. Yep. It was a, yeah. a fantastic yeah. writer and fantastic yeah. artist. Yeah. So. He kind of reminded me of uh, Gendy. I just had to look up his name for the oh, correct sorry. pronunciation. Yeah, I thought it was Gendy. He's like uh, an idiot. <laughs> Gendy 
Tartakovsky, yeah. who created uh, Dexter's Laboratory and um, blanking Samurai Jack, and right. he worked on Star Wars: The Clone Wars. It was it just seemed like very accessible art to mm. everyone, and um, just after reading the book, I feel like the writer was like part of that generation. To, he wanted it to be accessible, and, and he definitely made it that way. It's very youthful, and it's very clean. Yeah, yeah. That Oftentimes, when we comics, it actually feels really cluttered, and it gets really busy. Yeah. Yeah. And I get tired reading some comics sometimes, because so much is going on. Yeah, right. I mean, just to go back to the first page, which takes place at a party, which has the tendency to be very cluttered, but he, he still kept it very clean, yeah. and you can see everything that's going on. Absolutely refreshing. Yes. Yeah. So one thing that uh, that Scott McCloud talks about in understanding comics is identification through simplification, and of course, uh, due to the art style, characters were simple. But since it was so heavily influenced by an Asian style, uh, how did it serve to have? Not how to serve? Were you able to connect to the characters in it as much as you would be as much as you would to a different art style? Um, did it help or hinder? I think it helped. Like I said, I think it made it more accessible. I mean, the colors, the art style made it very, uh, I think, reader-friendly in a way. Um, sometimes we see comics that are very art, like very beautifully drawn, but it's they can be so overly um, artistic in a way that will kind of turn off new readers or um, people who might not be familiar with the art. And I think this one was just very simple but well done it's very well crafted because you still have that moment when you talk about uh, the monkey king who flies across the universe and flies out of the dimensions of our universe and he breaks through the box the paneling yeah, yeah he mm -hmm. does you know it's so amazing it's clean but you still use the bits of meta that you can to create this very interesting uh, narrative speaking of the monkey king for those of us who are not familiar with that story, at first when I read this, I was like, whoosh, it was completely over my head. So <laughs> what did you guys think of the very the introduction of the Monkey King in the story? Well, I think right away, it's, it's, uh, any Chinese person could have immediately mm -hmm. It's probably the most popular story told in our childhood. It's, it's uh, a little bit of background about the Monkey King. It's actually, it comes from a story called Journey to the West, which is known as one of the four great works of, uh, literary works of like China. And it's actually about a Tang Dynasty priest who goes to India to retrieve the Buddhist scriptures. And his sidekicks are, or, you know, the people traveling with him are the Monkey King, who's like a dragon horse guy, and like a sand monk dude. <laughs> dragon I, horse guy is a very accurate description. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what it's about. Um, and we can touch back on it later, because uh, there were some things I noticed in the comic. I mean, it must have been something totally different for you than it was for me, obviously, because you're familiar with the story. Oh, uh, yeah, a little bit. Like, it's it's one of those things. I've never personally read Journey to the West, mm -hmm. but most of the stories are familiar in the way that, like, probably a lot of people don't read Superman, yet they might know mm -hmm. just through passing what it's all about. And I think most of us have been exposed to a version of it somehow. Like, I know I've read, like, the child's version 
of it, you know, with little like um, beautiful drawings and really simple Chinese characters. I definitely read the story in that way. And when I was reading this this comic, I was like, this is all so familiar to me. The narrative is so familiar. It's a very, very closely tie narrative to the original story. And I just found out from one of the interns that Dragon Ball was actually... Uh, influence from uh, Journey to the West. So, That's crazy. The story of Goku, right. And for me as a kid, it was like I watched a TV live action adaptation probably of it. And it was weird, really, but it was just like something I did. And so like immediately upon seeing I was like, oh, I know what's going on here. If yeah. I recall correctly, the TV uh, version of this is still running. Wow. It's, it probably is. It's yeah. incredibly long-running television show. And so when I was younger, I recall watching the Monkey King television show briefly and remembering that every single episode definitely always ended with some kind of morality um, lesson. And I really saw that that, brought it, that was brought out in this comic as well. Yeah, you know, I feel like uh, the Monkey King is kind of a... He's a strange character in Chinese literature because he doesn't represent the traditional kind of Confucian values. Uh, he's mischievous, he's mischievous, he's headstrong, and uh, it's it's all very different from kind of the typical stoic hero types that you would get in other famous works of Chinese literature and heroes. And I think maybe perhaps that those values serve to kind of bridge the gap between Asian, East Asian and Western values and makes him a more maybe easy to identify with character to Americans. I wonder what it means then that I always thought the Monkey King was a huge dick. Maybe it means <laughs> that you're really Chinese. <laughs> Goddamn no, American think, heroes I mean, blowing I, shit up all the time. I think that's part Maybe of it like, means you're a braggadocio fob. efforts. <laughs> no, I think that's part of like the the shtick when they wrote or not when they wrote, but like when they portray him a lot of times. That he is this like, you know, troublemaker he doesn't conform to like rules, but overall he's still like a good person. So I mean, I think maybe you're supposed to see him kind of as a dick. He always redeems himself in the end. Yeah, so. you could be a rebel and a good person at the same right? time. Yeah, it was really interesting. That the author chose to open the story with the Monkey King. Uh, I'd never saw it before. He made this connection that instantly I recognized. Like, whoa! I guess in a way, the Monkey King, his story is also about fitting in with the other gods in kind of the, the Chinese pantheon. Joe, you made the point earlier that the Monkey King is kind of like Loki, and I, I, he reminded me of like American Indian trickster characters, and the trickster is sort of a figure that we don't have in like Anglo-American culture. We right. like based on like the Puritan descendants, we want everyone to be good or bad. Like you're a rebel or you're a good person, you're a villain or you're a hero. And sometimes it's hard to like sit with a character who just does dickish things for no good reason. He's the Han Solo. Yeah. <laughs> yes, so. Um, but so yeah, like you were saying, Derek, like the Monkey King is a really good figure for like sitting with all of these disparate elements of your personality like i'm all these things together and it doesn't necessarily make sense but that's what i am and i have to kind of live with it and in this yeah. narrative the reason why he acts out is that he's treated like an outsider yeah. and what does that mean for you know young people in this country who are treated like outsiders and the way they behave because of that based on the different perspectives that we all came from did the monkey story in the beginning carry any significance before it continued there was definitely this particular scene is when he was in line for the party and the guard told him that, you know, you can't come in. 
And he says, well, you know, but I'm like basically a deity and I have all this power. And he said, well, you're still a monkey. And that reminded me a lot of this book that I've read called, what was it? Oh, Racism Without Racists by Monia De Silva, where he talks about how Asian Americans in the United States are sometimes considered honorary whites. And that seems like a compliment. But in fact, what it means is that we're still Asian. We're still as much as you can try to assimilate us, we're still not one of you. We're honorary whites. We're not actually white. So you're still treated like the other. You're treated like a pet for um, those within what you would quote unquote call the majority. And I thought that really resonated. I think for the also uh, for the broad narrative, it kind of establishes one of those central themes of the rest of the story is about acceptance. So starting with the monkey king, I thought was a good call. For, interesting i can jump on that and say that uh yeah in terms of just just knowing where the one of the main elements of the story was going reading that his portion in the beginning i was like this is clearly going to be about like identity and reconciling what others value your identity as or what they think it is and what you actually think it is and how you grow to accept it so it's kind of like a here's what's to come a little teaser taste. Haters gonna hate. Yeah, I feel like... <laughs> Monkey's gonna monkey, haters gonna hate. I feel like the Monkey, King, the Monkey King's continual journey to try to achieve, like, immortality and all of this, you know, bonus powers and strength reminds me a lot of the model minority myth that um, Asian Americans were told to think that as long as we work really hard, we can achieve the American dream and assimilate into this country. And it's a myth. It's the model minority myth. Why do you think it's a myth? Because um, one, it's, it adds to the idea that one, all Asian Americans are smart, all Asian Americans are good at math, and that we are the epitome of what racial integration should look like in this country. And by doing that, it actually splits us off from um, a lot of groups who are fighting against oppression. Yeah. And I'm a conspiracy theorist, and that's how I think that <laughs> we lost our uh, Asian black solidarity that happened during the civil rights movement. Uh. Just saying. <laughs> I don't want to play devil's advocate or anything, but and this might just be my personal view. Being called good at math is like not the most offensive thing. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm not. just saying, like, and 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 just speaking, like, people have said that about me, and it turns out sometimes lot, there are a lot of Asian people who are good at academic subjects. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I disagree, but, though. I think well, it's I mean, highly offensive. But like, who? It is. It is offensive. But, it's, but it's, there it's are. Just, uh, but, if you look at the statistically, all these kids who are getting like good SAT scores, I'm not saying they're naturally good, whether they're forced into it, but there are a lot of kids who are excelling right now. And that's just a fact. And now, of course, it's not right to assume that you should be smart because you're Asian. Like, I'm not saying that. Well, that's essentially what this guy was doing. No, no, I get, I get that. But I'm saying like maybe it's me speaking from personal like experience or like having seen other minorities i guess it's much it can be get what much worse than being called the smartest kid oh absolutely yeah. i'm sh- there's plenty of worse things you can you can say to someone i mean god i mean i don't want to go through the ringer but like yeah that's like not possibly the worst thing you could say to someone but it, it it's like the expectation to be smart because you're of a certain race is just like it's dehumanizing it is yeah. it is I don't disagree. And it's general. I think it's just general. Don't disagree. Or do I don't. I don't disagree. But I'm just saying it. 
There are worse. I mean, we're not we're not really here to play oppression Olympics because that's <laughs> never useful. Guys, no, but, but I'm more of oppression Olympics. Now. But no, but for real, like it does seem that it's more socially acceptable to be racist towards an Asian person than to it's a true. black person. And it's a strange pressure. What happened with the whole cancel Colbert conversation, like earlier in the year? Um, like I, I thought that the people who had the most valid points were saying, yeah, okay, it's a joke, and I understand why it's a joke, but why? Is it safer to make this joke about Asian people than it is to make the joke about a different race? Um, and that's why we need to talk about yeah, it. Making well, presumptions about anyone based on an unfair set of expectations or strictures is always offensive, but for some reason it is kind of like taken more lightly. It shouldn't be. That's definitely something yeah. that is explored in American-born yeah, Chinese. Absolutely. Um, one of the questions that we want to talk about is what or who does... Chinky represent, represent. Which I, yeah. hate even, I hate even saying that. <laughs> <laughs> so to just you know destroy the elephant that's sitting in the room <laughs> down our necks, Chinky is definitely a reference to the derogatory slur Chink. So that's what Chinky represents. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> chinky represents. I'm looking at the comic as you're saying it. Well, I mean, he's kind of wrong, Aaron. He, he represents the word, but he also represents. <laughs> he represents the word, but he also represents much deeper, like as far as it's like the American <clears throat> the, version, the American yeah. stereotypes, the um, that and that's. It's not also not as much also stereotyping, but the there's the ignorance about some facts out there, and that's just how people see it. Um, but it's not necessarily wrong, I would say. Like it's almost like you know when they had the cartoons back in the day, the African Americans drawing like uh, exaggerated African American comics. Like you can say, oh well, you're making fun of your own race, but it's not. It's like that's how they were portrayed at that time, and so it's just a showing of the ignorance, I guess. And you've seen that. I mean, even in re- that that's long time ago, but like even in more recent yeah. like decades, like Disney has been thrown on the burner for that. Like they're oh, every man. crow is like this black. Like, I mean, do you remember if you look crow, at uh, if you look at Looney Tunes cartoons during World War Two? Oh. oh, they're terrible. Like there's a whole Donald Duck series of him like hating the Japanese. They're absolutely terrible nowadays. And it's, once again, it's sad to think that that's what this nation was, you know, encouraged to think. Yeah. I mean, do you remember Cloud Atlas? The most recent, well, not the most I recent. I didn't watch it. It's a very recent movie where they decided it was okay to put white actors in yellow face to play Asian characters. And they taped down their eyelids and they gave them, uh, I think gave some of them weird, very like um, Fu Manchu facial hair. Mm. And it was really unfortunate. And actually, at... My college, Barnard College, uh, we did a production of Top Girls recently where a white actress was put in a black wig and a um, really inauthentic kimono to play a Japanese princess. Ridiculous. I love Top Girls to play. I did that when I was in college, Mm -hmm. too. Most recent um, incarnation of the Monkey King story was actually in The Forbidden Kingdom starring Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee with a white guy oh, yeah. going to China to learn Kung Fu and become the hero to save everybody. Yeah, I watched Bruce Lee played the Monkey King. Wow. That's incredible. I watched it too. And do you know, I remember when they were casting Memoirs of a Geisha, they were considering all different kinds of... I was just going to say that. They were considering like, Madonna. That shouldn't like even have been that. on the table. Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah, I know. Why? Oh my God. <laughs> oh, that makes me just was, physically Clint, ill. As Clint Eastwood. That made, that made my insides cringe inside. No, could you imagine? Yeah. It. It'd be appalling. It'd be terrible. Nobody would have watched it. Oh God. That makes me so angry. 
I, I feel physically sick reading those panels. Madonna doesn't need to be in anything. In she comment. doesn't need Which to be panel? in <laughs> the chinky panels. The chinky panels. Yeah, yeah it was a, very physically that's sick. What, that's what Josh said too when we talked about. Yeah. I um. You know, I almost feel like though Chinky, he he's drawn in a way. He's like a Chinese coolie from the 19th century, yeah. Yeah. basically the the stereotype of one. I feel like a lot of those stereotypes are so antiquated. I don't know if they're the most pressing issues facing modern Asian Americans. Hundred percent agree. Yeah. You know, I think most Americans now don't view Chinese people as just these kind of laundromat owning dog and cat eaters anymore. That's not where. That's not. That's not where the struggle should be focused on. I will say that um, I was recently exposed to a joke that a white guy decided to tell me that included the word chink. It was a little awkward. <laughs> no. uh, he just was like, you're going to like this. He thought that was <laughs> He was like, this is awful, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. And I'm like, wow, yeah, that was awful. Don't ever My tell it to me again. My itch already. Yeah. And going back to what I think Kathy said earlier about the Colbert Report uh, controversy, uh, that pops up a lot. And with Asian Americans, you know, I, I read the comments, even though I shouldn't. You shouldn't read internet comments, nope. right? They don't mean anything. It's like the worst thing you can do. Yeah, but I read them because I think deep down I like to feel angry. It's Yeah. Like, wow, anger is addictive in yeah, some psychological is. way, right? I hear it. But uh, And it's always, oh, you have no sense of humor. It's just a joke. But I feel like as an aspiring, you know, part-time comedian, I'd say that, yes, humor shouldn't have any boundaries, but if you're the one making the joke, you should always take responsibility for it. And other people have a right to feel offended. You can't take away someone's right to be, feel offended yeah. and say, oh, it was just a joke. That's not an excuse. That's a cop-out. Yeah, exactly. You, should, you shouldn't go If you make a joke and it's not funny, that's on you. It's yeah. all on you. Yeah. You shouldn't you know. go for shock value and expect there to be zero yeah. waves. It's, and the thing is, you know, some some of my favorite comics are shock comics, and they make racial jokes. But the thing is, some of them are funny. Some of them are so overplayed and old. And that's especially the case with jokes about Asian Americans. It's, it is. I've heard, I've heard yeah, them so not. often that they're just not funny anymore. And you can't say to me, oh, it's because you don't have a sense of humor. No, it's because you're not clever. Yeah. Think of something new. <laughs> Get with it, man. It's all about making fun of whales now. I don't know. Also, a lot of whales the country or whales the animal. Both. <laughs> Get inventive. A lot of Make fun of the new Chinese regime and the change in power. <laughs> Internal struggles of the I agree. You know, PRC. A lot of comedians uh, profess to be all about satire. And I think they forget the fundamental rule about satire. Satire should be aimed at those above. Yeah. yeah. It should be aimed Absolutely. at the oppressors, Absolutely. not the oppressed. Yes. Yeah. And that's where they always slip up and forget. While we're talking about comedy, I, this is a question that I'm interested in hearing everyone's opinion on. So why the laughing track? And I thought that was one of the most interesting graphic elements of this novel, that like the ha-ha-ha was written in the dividers between the panels. Like, Is this like a sitcom, and what do you think the author is trying to convey by using that laughing track to having like an emotion imposed on us, like canned laughter? Personally felt... Oh, wait, sorry. Did I cut no, 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 go oh, ahead. No. I personally felt that that was a, a really brilliant touch. I think it just kind of represented like Shinki is this violent caricature of what the American culture views as Asian stereotype and how lightly we take that. And I, I can't refer to specific examples, but we are also, I mean, it's safe to say that we're just highly influenced by our media, our popular culture, entertainment. And so the impact of that for that stereotype to be so just kind of disgusting and vulgar really as it is, but we accept it as this light thing and it's just kind of like ha 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 like whatever it's 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 a horrifying kind of 
um, connection. To I me. have a specific example for you. Uh, Go for it. Yeah. Two broke girls. They had. I hate that show. Yeah, they had. As a a broke white girl, I hate that show. Not real. They had Asian American (laughs) characters who were reduced to stereotypes, and it was played for laughs. And again, that's. Yeah. This is now. This is 21st century, 2014. Yeah, as Derek had mentioned, that's just ridiculous. It's like it would be like it's like now when you see like the gay character, and they're like, it's like that's not how gay people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Patton Oswalt. Like, it's yeah. just not. It's so. It's like if you're, on, if you think that's funny, you have to be on the losing team. Like, there's just no. That is not relevant or funny or clever. It's just offensive and stupid. I think it is. Also, like maybe this is me looking too deeply into it, but subtly because of all the bullying he endured. Oh yeah. Like that's something that kind of resonates with him continually. People are always laughing at him. That's something you know. That, there was that scene when, um, him, his friend Wei Chung and. Susie Nakamura are having their conversation. They're laughing, and these guys come over and just have, make that racial joke, and then they have their laugh track, and it just completely ruins everything for all the, all of them, right? And I think that's something that like verbal abuse still lingers with you. That's something that you remember when people keep laughing at you and stuff like that. Maybe it's very much a situation of you laugh because you cannot cry, right? Yeah, yeah. the racism against Asian people had way far surpassed like just Vietnam, but also like. Um, Korea too. Korea and Korea, right? And but also, if you just look at the even the the media then movies, like the kung fu movies is always Chuck Norris being a bunch of Asian people. Uh, like if it wasn't like Russian, it was Norris. Chinese people. We didn't have terrorists back then to beat up, so we were you no. Know, so essentially, that was the, communism was the enemy. So and, and that's partly I think what might be even more so like communism as a whole was looked down upon, and China was. The last big remnants of a communist like regime, so you know, part of that always they're ingrained to, teach, to to learn that. Even I was as a kid was like fuck communism, like this is America, right? You know. Another thing about the laugh track in the sitcom style of this uh, comic is that you, we don't really have sitcoms about Chinese families. The the there's one coming out now called Fresh, Fresh Off, Off the Boat, boat. Nice. which I am genuinely very excited about. It might be awful, it might be horribly offensive, but at least it is a Chinese man writing about his experience. Um, it's with a, it's actually that like exactly part of the culture, yeah. And I think before that, the last one was Margaret Cho's All American Girl. I love Margaret Cho. <laughs> and, and that one, he was even forced to. She had to. Ch- they changed the main cast. Yeah. Uh, in the second season, I believe, to be more white because they were getting such low ratings, which. I mean, I guess I don't blame the. TV she had like a Japanese grandmother and like a, a they're, Korean. They're Korean. They were a Korean family um, in the first season, and then I guess. But in the, the actors were all all different. Different Asian Oh, that descent. I'm not yeah. sure. I mean, that's the case with Fresh Off the Boat, too. Uh, there, I think a lot of them are Korean actors playing Taiwanese-American um, characters. But there's such a lack of, I think, Asian actors, even, <laughs> oh, that totally I don't, I wouldn't Ooh, I don't be know mad about at that. the fact that you well, can the, cast I don't know about that. Yeah, the intern over there is also shaking her head. There's not Maybe a lack of Asian actors. It's just the lack of, like, so. telling that story. There's I mean, also a lack of exposure for Asian actors and a lack of um, agents representing Asian actors. A, t- a ton of ceilings. And yeah. the there's a lot of typecasting, too. Of you get typecasted. Yeah. You know, something that we didn't mention was the, how the Chinese were treated during um, the building of the American railway system. Oh my god, yes. Which is really important. Time too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it goes back further than Vietnam. Yeah. Absolutely. And further than some uh Because then we had, we had the Chinese Exclusion Act, and Absolutely. one thing yeah. about the Chinese Exclusion Act was that the families who later on was able to come, were able to come, a lot of them were, were here because the United States were like, okay, 
you have a nuclear family, so one, you're heteronormative, and you're also much more likely to be white collar. And so you're usually businessmen who are brought over, and that I, I felt also was able to build a lot of resentment in this country against uh, the Asian immigrants coming in, because they tended to be well off and had stable family lives. Well, you know, Josh and I were speaking yesterday, and um, he explained to me that, that the interlude images were representations of um, the signatures that were on the top of every single page. Usually, when that was on the top of every page, it was when uh, an artist would finish his, and Derek can probably help me with this, but when he finishes an artwork, that would be their way to sign a piece of art. You know, whereas traditionally people sign their names, right. the uh, Chinese art, they had um, a stamp with their name in it. And the interludes, obviously, they replaced it with like a face of Chinky or the Monkey King, whatever the case may be, but um, that is what the stamp represented. I have a stamp with my name carved in it. Really? Just want to say that. Oh, very cool. <laughs> I love it a lot. Yeah, it's pretty much just a, a signature. Also, is a rooster carved on the top. Oh, that's nice. that's my zodiac. Um, we have a bunch of art in our house because uh, my husband Dale taught English in uh, China for a time, and when he came back, he brought. This was before I met him, but he brought back a, a whole load of um, Chinese artwork, and I love it to this day. And they all have different stamps on top of them. Can any um this is a, like a dumb question but do, can anyone read these characters like what, do you know what it means when they change but I just oh, when they're changing when, like, like when he says giant that's the word da which just means big ah uh, so, okay um and then when he gets smaller he says like xiao which is small yeah all all the words that the monkey king says when he's uh, doing his magic is literally the spell that he's casting that's are these cool. uh, um, are these stamp characters in traditional Chinese or in modern? It looks like Simplified traditional. I don't recognize those characters myself. Uh, the characters itself, I would. I'm functionally tell you. illiterate. Yeah. <laughs> Same here, unfortunately. <laughs> We're all pretty bad. We're all pretty bad on that regard. Yeah, but it's yeah. just good to know that they're not arbitrary. I mean, no, no yeah, they're, they're yeah. there for a, a real well, serious also, reason. There are some stamps, like most stamps, are are usually just one square or like two, but there are some who have elaborate, like. You know, I guess you could say the divas to the artists, but they have bigger stamps. Yeah, like, definitely. I also notice so. that these um, there's a stamp for the Monkey King storyline. There's a stamp for the um, the young the young Asian boy. What's his name? I'm sorry. Jin Jin Wang. Jin, Jin Wang for Jin Wang storyline, and there's one stamp for Danny storyline. Yes. Oh, that's well. awesome. Yeah. Do they cycle? So they each... cycle through. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Like yeah. page two thirteen to two fourteen, the stories are merging, and you have the like two together. different stamps. On yeah. top of oh, that's really cool. That's really cool, yeah. Yeah. Um, and these are traditional characters. Yeah, they look like traditional characters. Okay. For anybody who doesn't know, um, when Chairman Mao came into China and took over the Chinese government in the 1950s, he um, changed the Chinese um, alphabet to a more modern, modern simplified system. So um, what is considered... Traditional Chinese is anything before, I think it was 1950... 1949. 1949. Oh, God, I'm totally off. 1949. It's about so. the same time. Yeah. But I just want to add the point that he didn't technically take over as much as... He revolted and won. He revolted and won, yeah. and but but it he, also um, depends on which side of the fence. Everybody you're on else about ran certain. off to Taiwan. Yeah, yeah exactly. It kind of depends on which yeah. side of the fence you're on about that. We one, so. turned, yeah, but um, Chairman Mao decided to simplify the Chinese alphabet. So um, there's 
two versions of Chinese and one is the modern and one is the traditional. I personally have very mixed feelings about that because I feel the traditional, it's beautiful and I it love it. It is beautiful. But the simplified Chinese makes it so much more accessible to folks. Absolutely. And yeah. there, it, it increases literacy. Two sides. To know both in, in yeah, some ways. Really a, lot of, yeah. a lot of times you can ascertain you can. what a traditional character means if you know the simplified. How much of the story is about um, being an actual American-born Chinese and how much of it is about the immigrant immigrant experience as a whole in America? I think it's the case of, of any story. I think I mentioned this in our Why the Last Man podcast. The idea that the specific makes it universal mm. and that a lot of this is very specific to American-born Chinese stories. Um, you know, the whole you eat cats and dogs thing, the whole, all the stereotypes there is very specifically Chinese. But having stereotypes placed upon you is a very immigrant experience yeah. and being treated differently because of because you're different is a huge human experience so the specifics of this narrative applies universe universally and that's what makes you you know understand that yeah. hey our narratives are everyone's narratives but it, it just happens to, it just point. happens to be the chinese version yeah. yeah to speak of that human experience i think that it's just a general thing that every every person who has ever existed does now or will i think 99.9 percent .9 of you do this thing where you may not realize it but you villainize something you're just not familiar with just because of the unfamiliarity that's called othering but i, <laughs> I, I will say though there is a difference than just a typical immigrant experience because an american-born chinese is not a fob not someone who's fresh off the boat that's the more of the immigrant second experience. gen yeah, yeah second yeah. generation yeah. it's the ones that come over at an age where learning english is harder and it's way harder to be accepted. Mm -hmm. Whereas, I think with the American-born Chinese, they have the issue of like, am I American or Chinese? Yeah, more so I? than because the Chinese kids know they're Chinese and they're coming to a foreign country. These kids are born in America, you know, they speak perfect English most of the time, and they, you know, they grow up around white kids, whatever kids they, mostly probably not majority Asian kids. So for them, they have more of an identity crisis. Yeah. Whose ideals do I fall under? Right. It's also interesting that they, um, in this comic, in his story, that fob was used as a derogatory term. When I was a child, you wanted to be a fob. You wanted to be closer to your culture, and if you weren't, then you were fake Chinese. Really? See, I think that's Bob the complete, was a derogatory yeah. term for where we came from, no. and even the ABCs used it against the Asians. Yeah, I wonder if it's because came. I was I'm from California, from a but very we're Asian. from we're from LA. I'm from San Francisco area, okay. yeah. and we were predominantly Chinese population. And I think we all wanted to be American and Americanized, but at the same time, there was a part of us who was like, well, I'm fobbier than you because I wear like large glasses and I can do the peace sign. And it, it was bizarre. See, oh. I drink boba. We had, yeah, exactly. So what, you know? <laughs> like on the contrary, I had the exact opposite experience where even though I didn't, in my school, there were like relatively a lot more Asians than other schools. Like I was actually kind of a dick to fobs. Like, because it was more like for me personally, at least, I, I wanted to be like not just seen as a Chinese kid, you know what I'm saying? Because I was bullied in like elementary school, but on to middle school, it wasn't so much. But then I wanted to find that other identity. So, in, in that sense, like when fobs came to our school, I like I personally looked down on them. I was like, oh, they're, they're so Chinese, they don't know anything about America. Like, I don't want to, like, kind of like in the story when he's, at yeah. first, when he's like, I don't want to hang out with you, like, I have my American friends. Yeah, his first it's line. identity crisis. Yeah, yeah. His first line to, uh... Wei Chung. Yeah, yeah. Wei Chung. He, he's like, you're in America, speak English. It was like the first line he yeah. said to him. Yeah, yeah. I think the trick is, you want to be a fob, but not too fobby. 
there's a balance, right? You know? It all depends on the demographics or where you're from, yeah. too. Because I can't, yeah. I couldn't identify with either of those. Like, I grew, I went to mostly schools that were mostly Asian. I went to from elementary school to high school. I grew up in the San Gabriel Valley in uh, L.A., and it's pretty much, it's like China. And I didn't even know there were white people in America until I joined the <laughs> army. Like, no, but I mean, seriously, though, uh... There were there were enough Asians that we self divided between the American born Asians and the foreign the born ones. Or at least I mean, I'm technically foreign born, but I guess I came at a young enough age where I could pick up on English and adapt to the culture and not have that other part that just kind of um, separates. So let me ask you a question. Because um, that was your environment, did you still connect to the story in the same way that Josh um, I recognized the struggle, I think, okay. but I, there was never a period in my life where I lamented my Chinese heritage. Uh, I think part of that is also probably upbringing. My mm. parents are really careful. My dad kind of has, and I, I think, a too Sinocentric view of the world. Uh, he's brought up, and that's the thing, like, they... He, uh, the author, is from Taiwan. It's a different culture from... I'm a child of mainland Chinese parents. It is a different culture. Yeah. And my parents went through the Cultural Revolution under Mao, under Mao, so they're not as traditionally Chinese anymore. It's weird. It's weird. I mean, I could yeah. talk about it for hours, but That's like, very a, there's a cultural schism, and we could do a whole podcast. Yeah, on that. it's gonna redefine <laughs> Ooh, like, Taiwan versus China. Woo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a can of worms. <laughs> it's yeah. gonna, yeah. And the it thing is, is, it's gonna redefine kind of uh, the ABC experience because increasingly now you're gonna get more mainlanders coming, and they're gonna have a completely different attitude about being Chinese than what the people who grew up in Taiwan or Hong Kong, who probably immigrated here in the 70s, right. 60s, 60s, even maybe. Um, then compared to the people who came in the early 90s like that wave is a different wave yeah yeah, yeah but I like for me personally I can't say that there was a time where I didn't not want to be Chinese because when I was in elementary school there was a time where I was like I don't want why I almost felt like it was a curse because uh, I went to elementary school where it was called La Primavera in like pretty much a 90% Hispanic neighborhood um, I was like the one of like five probably Asian kids so I related very heavily to the story and I remember distinctly one time walk, my mom used to walk me home and while, while she was walking home these three like uh, Hispanic girls like probably my age were just screaming the worst obscenities at us and even though I felt ashamed then and now like in anger but you know I, at the time I was just like what did I do to, to receive like you know it almost felt like a curse like why am I being yelled at for that shit like I didn't do anything you know so it was tough I think we are getting to a point where people are trying to reclaim their heritage. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it, you know, a lot of talk about what it means to be a descendant of the diaspora and what it means to be disconnected from the culture that your family came from, what it means to not know a language that your parents speak, and what, what it means to lose these stories and narratives and mythology. Like, I'm sure there are a lot of, um, you know, Asian Americans who don't know the Monkey King story, and, but their parents do. And what does it mean to have that generation, that split there, happen? Can so, I ask a really um, volatile question? No, no, no. Sure. no I can't. Move on, let's move this on. is the whole point of the podcast. <laughs> um, what do you? What are your opinions on like during that whole trend in the '90s where like people were getting Chinese characters tattooed on themselves? I didn't care. I thought it was funny personally. I was just like because a lot of times people wouldn't know what it meant. Exactly. You That's, know. I I think it's hilarious, but it's hilarious because it was so ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't. I don't really mind it. Um, as long as it's, they know what it means, right? <laughs> I, I, I do think I do think Chinese characters look cool as tattoos, as you know, as 
lame as it is. Yeah. yeah. You could tell, and, though, that there were just people who were doing it just because yeah, it was yeah. the fashion. Like, it's, also, yeah. it's the equivalent of the college freshman who has, like, a picture of Bob Marley on his yeah. wall, but he's like, yeah, man, I shot the sheriff. It's like, well, nah. what, what other songs? Exactly. I'm not gonna... I shot the... Sh- Shut up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I will say that it's insidious how dangerous that kind of thing can be, though, because it, it you, is. Begin, it you is. begin fetishizing an entire culture. But at the oh, same yeah. time, but, you though, know, Chinese people do it, too. That's the thing. At the it's same different. They know what it different. means, and they can yeah. read it and well, say no, that. But not with the only thing Chinese. is, like, I would. I'm, I'm proud of being Chinese. I would get Chinese character tattoos. I just right. don't want to appear culturally insensitive towards white guys. Like, I don't want to offend them. <laughs> Taking out even the Chinese context, like, okay, embarrassing fact. When I was 15, I loved Tupac. I wanted to get a thug life tattoo. That's not embarrassing. But I wanted to get a Me, thug life like, tattoo, like he did, on, on my my chest. That sounds like a really think, good idea. I know, yeah. but like you I don't think like black people are. I don't know why you, you didn't. Know, but I'm saying like black. The point is, black people are not gonna get mad. You know, what I think saying? that's it's, complicated. It, I mean, it is, but at the same time, it's just like your body. You do whatever you want. You can have. Yeah. You can yeah. you can draw a picture. Of Chinese people hanging on from a tree. I don't care because it's your body. I don't. It's offensive, but it's. I'm a little more sensitive about that. I think there's a very fine line when it comes to appropriating people's cultures, and I do think there's a problem with um, Asian American communities appropriating "quote unquote" ghetto or thug culture, and appropriating Black culture. And I think it's complicated. I think there is a history of solidarity, and I think there's a history of um, sharing cultures. But it's a fine line, and it has to be tried really carefully, really carefully examined. What? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, growing up, a lot of my friends, um, or people even I just I knew in school, they dressed like Hispanic gangsters and talked like black gangsters. <gasps> that was my. I school went through as well. that in it my was really school weird. too. And they, they were Asian, and it was. The only I think part, they were I was looking like, for damn. identification. They were looking for like some sort of identity. Uh, yeah. well, I think but kids. I wish that we could have invented our own. You know, the whole thing. Appropriating you want to be fob, but not too fob. You want to be black, but not too black. Yeah. Can I say something from as from as someone who was that person? Like you guys are literally <laughs> talking about me. No, I wasn't dressed like a Hispanic, but I was really into black culture. But it's not because, like, part of that wasn't really. The, See, that's the thing. A lot of people think, oh, you just want to be black or whatever the case may be. That wasn't the case. I got really into black culture. Now, I think a lot, also a lot of people, because when I picked up, like, that Tupac album, and obviously I'm not talking about rap nowadays, but back in the day when they were talking about their struggles, um, when they were frustrated with their conditions, like, I had really strict parents. So, in a way, I felt almost it caged. It spoke to you. It spoke to me. It yeah. talked about freedom and, and liberation, and that was what I wanted. So obviously I got down with that culture. See, I think, I think I'm I'm sorry, Josh. That's kind of a reach. I, I don't feel like it's similar. Like you, I'm not saying that you didn't struggle as much growing up, but I think there's a lot of differences between that or growing up in the crack epidemic. And I don't know I think who said the it. Asian struggle is very different from the black struggle. Yeah. I'm not saying it's the, the struggles aren't the same, but the, the struggle is real, though. It is it's real. It's still a struggle, I, and I, I can still relate to it. How I, I don't know who said it, but um, it was either Chuck D or somebody like that who said rap music was black people's punk rock. Like, white generation had punk rock in the 70s with the Ramones and the Sex Pistols and everything, and rap music in the 90s was the african-americans punk rock and they were speaking out against you know all the oppression and everything that they went through and that's where that came from and it's definitely changed and evolved throughout the years but let let's remember that like that's how it started and let's remember rap got big in the 90s not because of black people because they weren't buying albums it was white people buying their albums nwa was the number one band for a while because everyone 
everyone shared those same the struggle the same the, feelings the struggle of course isn't real you're not living in the crack houses in LA you're not you know selling dope and getting shot in the corners 99% of the people who bought those albums were not living in the crack houses of New York that, or LA yeah. but it like was like said, their friends were buying it it was popular yeah. it's very complicated we all know racial dynamics are complicated this is another podcast yeah. <laughs> uh, it reflects another one of those positive stereotypes that we have about uh, you know the ancient Asian wisdom yeah. kind of thing where say. these <laughs> tattoos I saw at a tattoo parlor once uh the translation in English, it said, oh, this is supposed to mean born to love women. What it really said was good woman. <laughs> so. I also ran to a guy on the street who had a tattoo on his arm that literally translated to fish and sit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He just really just, likes uh, fishing. And sitting. Yeah. Also, because <laughs> I think a lot of people will go, will, will, I think a lot of people who want Chinese tattoos might just go to Google Translate and be like, I want to get this cool saying, oh, but yeah, in Chinese it's much different. <laughs> Than, than how you would think it is and so you're getting like fish thing on you but it's wrong phrase and uh, you know this is all great conversation but we're getting so far away from American born Chinese yes yes let's get back to the comic I mean that's why this comic is so important <laughs> it <Yeah>. is <laughs> sorry hang in there Dying. hang in there Justin oh. don't die so eventually all of the different narratives in the story converge at the moment where we get to the big reveal and Chinky is the monkey and Danny is Jin Wang. So what do you think about how the author tied the different, the disparate stories together? I can say that as someone who isn't familiar with the story of the Monkey King, I, I really didn't see, I don't know if that reveal is tied into anything conclusive in the Monkey King story, but... I didn't see it coming. I knew that the three narratives were going to come together, yeah. but I did not see, see it coming. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I had a feeling they were going to converge, but I didn't see it like, by the way, I'm the monkey king and it's Ching And <laughs> I think it ties into that whole um, it gets better theme that's been going on for the past couple of years. And regardless of your race or sexuality or whatever, it gets better. And that's what this whole thing was about is like, don't overthink it. Yeah. It gets better. <laughs> By the way, I just want to mention that the whole all three stories tied together at the end was mentioned on the cover of this comic. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was. Some of us didn't yeah. read some of us have different sorts of copies of it yeah. though. <laughs> I, some of us didn't read this comic at all. We're just bullshitting this whole podcast. No, I read it on my iPad, so um <laughs> I looked at the cover, but I didn't necessarily read it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was put together well. It was yeah. very. You don't even need to know about the Monkey King with a, with the background knowledge, um, and it's just a story of uh, being true to yourself. Yeah, you know? accepting who you and are. At the end, uh, Wei Chen, the, his friend, who um, we see him pulling up in a rice rocket, yeah. and they're drinking milk tea. I think uh, he kind of represents, I guess, some, this Asian American identity that we've managed to forge in recent times mm-hmm. about. Yeah, I mean, going back to earlier when I was talking about how we kind of lacked an identity and a lot of times we aped other groups. Aped. But, yeah. Aped. Aped. Get it? I thought about that for hours yesterday, all right? When am I going to drop this bombshell? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, I think that, that was a little bit of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like reconciliation at the end. And we do we we did achieve some form of like 
identity within American society. And I think that's only growing more in recent years too. Like I look at the kids out there now, the Asian American kids, they're doing, they're so much cooler than what we were. I think, I feel like back when oh, I was yeah. in high school, <laughs> Definitely. they're so much cooler. And Wait, they're doing am I part of that more. generation? Well, uh, <laughs> I guess I would define if you went to high school after 2006 or seven, if you're a freshman in I graduated as 11, so yeah. Oh, yeah. definitely, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You're one of those cool kids, you weren't you, yeah. 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 I am a cool what is kid. It? Um, the kids who watch, like, Wang Fu, even though they, they're Wong early. Wang Fu Productions. Or, um, mm-hmm. What are the other, Fung Brothers? Mm-hmm. They did that song about, like, Kalima Road. Yeah. I'm literally Jason a few, few blocks his, uh, from Kalima poetry. Road, so... I think a lot of it's because there's a growing consciousness within the Asian American community and a lot more activist movement and a lot more um, young Asian Americans participating in like activist art, slam poetry, and trying to um, express themselves and their identity. And I I feel like a lot of that, it's centered around the West Coast. Yeah. Uh, It was a big, it was kind of disconcerting when I moved out here to the East Coast, seeing a lot of Asians who grew up, I guess, in these small isolated bubbles where there were one of very few Asian Americans. And I see a lot more people kind of, I'm hesitant to use the word self-loathing, but kind of definitely trying to escape their identity. It's internalized racism is yeah. what it is. And it really, it pisses me off, but I'm trying to understand it because I think I, I had the fortune of growing up in a time where I wasn't the minority, even though we are here yeah. in the US. I was not a minority growing up where I went. And can I just say, this book is so incredible because look at the sort of discussions that's bringing out in all of us. Yeah. You know, our podcast is supposed to be about comics and this is about a comic, but, you know, it's uh, a catalyst for all these different sorts of discussions about race and um, that's what makes it so, you know, amazing and brilliant. And, sorry. And, and the one, one thing I'd like to add on that is that, like, we've been talking about race the whole time, but also this is like a coming of age story. It I mean, is. Right? It's the, a definite coming of age story. The, yeah. And, and like I said, it was just a Chinese version, but like the... I think the scene like in the movie theater with the bubbles, like that could happen to anybody. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's just your first date, you're embarrassed. Super like, universal. That could be the like first American time, Pie. Yeah, like the first time a girl says yes, like those feelings like also captured very well. I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. trying to get your friend to like ask to, a girl uh, out. Yeah, to yeah, lie yeah. about yeah. it. And he totally like, screws it up and you're like, come on, man. Gets like, locked in the closet. Yeah. Oh my God, it's classic. Yeah, classic. Kid hijinks. I like this friend though. The way he kept on speaking in like double entendres. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I love yeah, this that character. was really funny. If this, if, but like, if this had been a different nationality put in all of these stories, like instead of a, a Chinese kid and it was a say Polish kid, do you think it would hold as much weight? I think it'd be different if it was set in, set in a different time than the nineties. Like I know a Polish could yeah. talk about the Monkey King is like yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, dep- it depends, but it's. I think this is a very Asian American story. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Down to the art and everything, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. I oh. was just saying like we were talking about how it could be it could happen to anybody, but like if the if the protagonist had been a Polish kid or a Russian kid or an Indian kid or a Pakistani kid, do you think it would, you know, hold as much weight? Would it affect you the same way being in the movie theater with the girl and everything like that? I think they all have different stories that are to yeah. be told. I mean, it's going to be a different experience every time, but the overall story might be the yeah. same. Yeah. You know, the, same. the overall is universal, right. but the circumstance in which it's presented is the... We're all you know. awkward in the end. I mean, you can yeah. even... You can all, even yeah. Guys, we're all freaks and geeks. We're all freaks and geeks and awkward in the <laughs> title so, Especially <laughs> us at Comics First. Yeah. Um, I was kind of curious, though, at the very end, at the conclusion where... Uh, I think the Monkey King was talking about... Talking to the main character yeah. about what happens, and... Do you remember there was this one panel where um, they arrived to meet, like, baby Jesus, basically? Yeah. 
It's like the, the, the yeah. wise men are there. It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that, that was an interesting panel to me. I thought about it. I I still haven't really made sense of it, but I feel like it was very significant. I didn't I just, like it. I didn't like it I either. didn't understand yeah. why it because, tied in because I kept around, like, is that a well, thing like, in Chinese you know war? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Tra- traditionally, he was supposed to go to India to retrieve uh, right. the scriptures. Oh, okay. right? right. That was a story. So it felt like a symbol is, of assimilation. Yeah, a little bit. Like, that's what I got from it too. That's yeah. what I got. Did not we like got to drop some Christianity like, uh, in here. What's because... his name? Tiotsa, the guy who he said, "Oh, you can't escape my hand," and then he tries to fly out of the boundaries of the universe. That's yeah. Buddha in the real story. That's I don't yeah. know. Oh, Tiotsa wow. is like a Chinese way of saying Siddhartha, or right, or not not Siddhartha. Um, yeah, 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 Buddha. Yeah. So yeah, that was actually like Buddha's hand that he pees on and stuff. So I don't think he pees on him in the original story. What a he does. does. I he remember really? that. Yeah. He, he came across five pillars and he peed on it. There's yeah. pee involved. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I did not like that scene where he goes to baby Jesus because I, I was didn't like, like that. It just kind of took me out of it. To be there honest. were. I mean, I think if you look close enough, you can see that there's some sort of like Christian influence in it. You know, there's a lot of mention about forty days. Yeah. Um, uh, at the end, what was it? Uh, when uh, it's very subtle but when uh, Jen was waiting for his friend at the cafe it mentioned that he waited a little bit longer than a month like that's and, and yeah I kept mentioning 40 days for the monkey king like it's kind of a recurring theme like to to, I, I noticed that like and it's it totally ties in with the baby Jesus part I guess but that is kind of weird hmm. Did we bring up the Transformer metaphor yet? Not yet, Because no. it was a very thin one, but very cool one, I thought, you know? It meets the thank you, thank you. You're welcome. Um, that should be, like, the theme song every time I walk into a room, I feel Robots like. Robots yeah. in disguise. Um, no, but it, I thought that that was really cool when they asked him what he wants to be when he grows up. He says Transformer. a Transformer. And at first I didn't think much of it, but then you get to the end of the story and you're like, duh. He wants to be a transformer, man. and by being Danny, he was a transformer in a weird yeah. way. Yeah, because yeah. he sold his soul, like the old lady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's all really like also part of, like part myth, but also like a real story. I <sighs> knew that was gonna happen when she said you can tr- it can become one if you sell your soul. That's mm. like classic assimilation yeah. warning. See, I, I didn't catch that at first, so <laughs> yeah. I thought that was, that was really cool. So, what do you guys think about the fact that this book won an Eisner Award? Do you think it was deserving of it? Yes or no? It did win for best new graphic novel. Best new graphic novel. So if you're like, if the standard is graphic novel, like as a graphic novel, I think this is really an exemplary work. Um, because a lot of the things that we've been talking about so far are like the interaction of the text and the art. And when that's perfect, that's exactly what you want from the comics medium. Exactly. And also like the coming of age story is sort of really typical in the Western idea of what a novel is supposed to be. So it checks that box off. But then you also, like Joe and I were talking about this really briefly, like every page is designed exactly with the writer's taste and the entire story in mind. Like there's so much white space, which is such a huge waste from the publisher's point of view, but it makes the whole thing composed and balanced. And going back to our discussion about the laugh track, it's a perfect representation of laughter being totally at odds with what's actually happening in the moment like so contrasting the image and the text in a way to generate so much more meaning than you would have had if the story was told in just pictures or just text and so i think in that way it's like a really yeah exemplary graphic novel we talk about how simple the art was and how it's a very straightforward story but it's such a sophisticated 
graphic novel. It's so well crafted, and I think that's it's very efficient. That's yeah. the sign of sophisticated novels. You can do it with simplicity. Anybody else on that subject? Doesn't classical Asian art kind of stress simplicity also? Yes, it does. It does. Yeah, there's. I mean, I've seen people do. You know, in five brush strokes, they can paint a tiger or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about conveying like a complex well, look idea. Look how you fit that into comic book art. That's 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 yeah. what's really amazing. I feel like. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, so, I definitely think deserving of an Eisner. Okay, cool. Me, yeah, me, absolutely. Ijo oh, You think, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> so before we completely close out on American-born Chinese, uh, I wanted to discuss our final thoughts and overall reactions to the story and art because there's so many wonderful themes in this. We barely got to any of them. Um, so Aww. you know, what were your favorites? So. Um, I had read this book before, like years ago, and I liked it. And what stood out for me this time is kind of cheesy, but I thought that making Wei Chen the Monkey King's son and like making him this cool guy who knows who he is in the end was such a touching tribute to a friend. Like, I wish I could go back in time and write a story where I make my friend the child of a god who always knew what she was supposed to do and guided me um, to where I am today, uh, but I'm not that great um but um that really stood out to me as well thank you (laughs) but i thought that was really touching this time it's what really stood out to me i find this this comic so incredibly important um and what stood out to me the most was just how complicated everything was and everyone's feelings were and how there's so much growth and yet there's still much more to grow it didn't end with a happy ending i don't think no yeah Uh, it's it ended with the start of a conversation yeah and i i think that's exactly how all comics that profess to be important should do it should always end with the start of a conversation I'm going to piggyback on that and just say that like this comic opened up so much conversation for myself and for everyone here. Yeah, so, I mean, while I couldn't personally identify with all of the struggles that he's had, the authors had, I feel like um, it's, I mean, it was really amazing just to read. First of all, it's really amazing for me to just read anything about Asian Americans because I feel like we're very underrepresented in all mediums. Oh, that's the uh, truth. Entertainment, yeah. Except <laughs> anime. Yeah, but I mean... And yet everyone thinks that everyone animates white. Because well, some of them are drawn that way. Yeah. I'm just being a dick. Continue with your point. Sorry, Derek. No, but, uh, you know, what was I going to say? Thanks, Josh. Sorry. Yeah, Josh, that was very heartfelt. Damn it, Josh. I almost Gosh. cried during that monologue. Damn it. <laughs> I was working up to it. Tears wasted. I was going to have my Tyrion moment. <laughs> Don't even know. Don't even joke. Um, <laughs> we're having fun. Look at all the fun we're having. <laughs> but yeah, I just thought that it, for the longest time, I, Chinky, I didn't even know. I thought he was like a figment of his imagination. I didn't think it was a real character. And he represents kind of, I never realized how Chinese I was until I started interacting with people who are not Chinese mm. here. And you know, that usually happened, for me, it happened really after I turned 18. Um, and he spoke to me, his comment kind of spoke to me on that level. Like, wow. Uh, Chinky to me as a metaphorical kind of, no matter where you go, there's this part of you that will forever love like chicken feet and you know, know. have certain values that are just, I don't think I'll ever be able to shake completely. But <laughs> I, I do don't think love that's chicken a bad feet. Thing. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> It is, though. It is. It's that was so, so good. Or wants to answer every question. I don't know. There's just something about it. it. Yeah. I mean, I can go on for a long time of talking about this, but just... okay. overall, I, I think that the author, ref- 
he captured this kind of very familiar feeling of growing up as an Asian American, even though I couldn't, even though I come from a slightly different background, slightly adjusted, different version of being Asian American. Yeah. See, in a similar way, I really love the story. Uh, obviously, I am American as apple pie, unfortunately, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't. Me too. I, yeah, and I, I don't. <laughs> it's as reading a tale like this, like we don't come from. A background of real you know struggle I guess we don't we aren't as exposed I, to I it I feel weird even commenting on this story as a white girl I'm sorry yeah. I'm gonna say that I feel like well, you have every right to comment yeah. on it well I just yeah. feel you like sell yourself short I, feel I, like I, I don't mean to I just I I feel really you know I don't I I don't want to insult you guys and you know I very I'm There's very no much in the position. There's no insult you can say that Josh hasn't said to me. Like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like so. I'm kind of like in the hot seat. To, no, I really, to, I really appreciate, I really appreciate that statement because it's true. It is really complicated to navigate this, and I appreciate I, that. I, yeah. I mean, I love everyone for who they are as a person, regardless of their race or anything like that. And I, I, I just feel, I'm sorry to step on your feet, Matt. Hey, it's but cool. It's cool. I, I feel really like awkward as a, as a skinny white girl to like comment on anything regarding this because I don't think I... I, I it is a sensitive thing. And you don't want to fit into the group of like people that are like... That they they actually think these things. Right. And, and you know, it's... I was always raised to accept everyone as they are. My exactly. parents did an Me awesome too. job doing that. So. And so, like, as soon, I've never been taught to, to see anybody for race. I've always been taught to see people for their personality and for who they exactly. are. So are like, you a shitty person or not? Yeah. yeah exactly. Well... <laughs> Well, Nevertheless, society has still taught us to racialize everything. Yeah, yeah they absolutely. Do. They do. Yeah. And I will always affect the way you see people. Yeah, absolutely. I work really hard. To we all kind of it. make judgments on other people, no matter who we are, no matter what we do. You're gonna, you're gonna judge. It but is, exactly. Yeah. But the thing is, is about just why I love the story so much is because coming from that background of not having, like, I, I don't know what it's like to struggle as an, you know, an Asian-born or American. Um, it still resonated universally to me. It still had this kind of people fear what they don't understand. People are going to villainize what they don't understand exactly. and it's going to be unfair. Yeah, that's what I got from it too. Yeah, so it just kind of felt, it just resonated in that way. And also just the fact that this is like the only graphic novel I've ever read that deals with the issue of racial stereotyping and f struggling with that, your, your own racial identity in such a direct way. It's the only time I've ever really, I mean, I've read graphic novels and comics about heroes being persecuted and in various ways, but it's, this is the first one I ever I've ever read that dealt with it this so directly. Very unique. Hey, white people struggle too, you know. Sometimes the maid gets there late. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm just kidding. Sometimes your shower isn't yeah. as hot as you want it to be. No, I mean, I'm just it's, no but it, it, it is <laughs> like kidding. I said, it's a very um. <laughs> Anybody can relate to the struggle, I think. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes, because you're white, you're expected yeah. to have a degree, and right. you don't. <laughs> hey, you mean, I mean, rednecks, there's, the, like, white people look down on rednecks. There's, like, there's even that division. There's, it's everywhere. That's a class division. You know, so. It is. It is. And back to the point. Exactly. American-born Chinese, great. Love you, I Josh. loved it. I related to it. It was great. I did too. I mean, you know, I didn't have that experience of, of you know, as someone who's 80% white, um, I, you know, for me, I couldn't wait to talk about it only because of the universality of it. Um, you know, this is a book that's about self-acceptance. And I yeah. think that that means so much to everybody. And, you know, it's a coming of age story about self-acceptance and accepting who you are and not hiding from who you are and not selling your soul because of you want to fit in and because you care about what other people think. And, you know, I just thought that was so powerful. And, 
you know, uh, even though he wrote it on the cover, which I totally missed, <laughs> um, I love how he tied all three stories together. And I, you know, I, I thought it was brilliant because I didn't see it coming after all that. And um, it's almost even better if you don't know. It, it kind of was yeah, better. Yeah. You're mean, like, I oh didn't... crap, they're all together connected. I you know I learned something about the the Asian American experience in America yeah. first of all, and you know I learned something about myself through it too. And and you know I can't ask for anything better from a comic book or graphic novel. So this is the best Actually episode of think. Happy Days ever. <laughs> that was very well said, Justin. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's about time I said something well said, considering I haven't slept in two days. But whatever. Oh. Um, <laughs> but Kathy, do you have a special sign off, or should I remind people about where you, where you can find comics? You first? should do that first. All right, I should do that. So, um, you know, that's enough American born Chinese for today because we went a little <laughs> bit over time. Thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, remember you can find us on comicsfirst.com, on Facebook at facebook.com/comicsfirst, on Twitter at, at comicsfirst. Tumblr at comicsverse.tumblr.com. We're on YouTube, youtube.com slash comicsverse.tv. And please subscribe, subscribe. there. Yeah. And uh, check out our weekly video reviews that everyone's working so hard on. And Kathy is going to give us one of her amazing send-offs that you love so much. Um, and, man, it's going to be great just as soon as I it's a doozy. think of something. As soon as yeah. I think of one up. <laughs> I promise you fun home will just as long. That's this. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. And um, like the Monkey King would do, you should come back next time because it's what you feel like doing. Yeah, that's the best I have. <laughs> and you're very strong. <laughs> My favorite one ever was um, Don't Put Comics First in the Comics Hearse. We're still alive, people. <laughs> I'll work on rhymes next time. That was my favorite one ever. (laughs) 